Hello and welcome to Off The Record. You can keep up to date with us at our website at simplyofftherecord.fm. We've been getting a lot of listener questions lately. Please keep sending them in. It's really fun and enjoyable to know that you guys are trying to be involved with the podcast. That kind of rules. Also, we've been getting a lot more reviews lately on iTunes, and that's really cool for us as well. So feel free to go to iTunes, look us up at Off The Record, and leave us a one- or five-star review preferably a five-star <laughs> review thank you very much uh cool so first up today Justin and i just thought it would be good to answer a question that he you said you frequently get this with masturbation uh well that was the second that question. Was the second <laughs> uh but yeah i frequently get i think it's like a big topic even in the studios like when bands are sitting on the couch is like is it all just connections or you know, I think, like, a lot of life, people focus on the exception, not the rule. Mm. And uh, I think it's one of the most unhealthy habits. And as, you know, about in my mid-30s, I had to start training myself to not do is, like, you have to not focus on the exception. And you have to look at the rules and kind of play by the rules. And I think the exception is that, yes, every once in a while, one of the world's worst bands— fools everybody and gets very popular by just having all the connections and being a really social animal. I guess to already answer our question of which side I fall on this is, so is it all just connections? Um, no, but you also have to be good at being social and it's you have to be an exceptional musician to be a terrible, terrible person these days and have your band get far. What do you think? Hmm. I think it's yet like yes and also no, which is a bad answer. But in, in my in my in my opinion, it's kind of like a lot of terrible bands get really popular because they have connections. Also, they're just they're just good at the type they, they can feed a personality that likes to be eaten or whatever that would be. Like you know, like some like whoever Ronnie Racky is spewing his bullshit to at Warp Tour, like kids want like that kids eat that up. Um, and if he wasn't good at that, if he was really bad at being like the stage at having his stage presence, I would assume that they wouldn't be as popular as they are. But I can watch, I personally watch them like, and they're just a good example. I watched them on stage and like everyone was eating into it. How could you not? It was so good in terms of that kind of horrible persona he puts on. So, and then though, I bet there are a whole bunch of terrible bands that don't get popular and like, and do have connections or don't just because like they, they don't have that extra thing. I think every, every band typically, if they're going to get very popular, like need that extra thing, whether that's the front man is an asshole and has a prison record or, <laughs> you know, he's really good looking or something else or she, right? Like it doesn't, yes. um, you know, there are a lot of bands signed to rise or fearless that have the same connections as, I don't know, sleeping or sirens or falling in reverse, but they never get popular. So I, I think that's an interesting way to think about it too. Like why, why does that one band that has the same manager, the same booking agent, whatever, not get popular, but the other band does? I think, there's, I think there are intangibles even with the connections, right? Yes. Yeah, so I think that that's the thing is we, we always, I shouldn't say we, I think a lot of people who haven't put enough thought into this look at this as a thing of like, there's going to be one magic trick that gets them somewhere. And really what it is is it's a whole pie chart or ingredients. But, like, 
this is kind of the chili pepper is that <laughs> what I often say is, is like, so let's put, for example, um, Coheed and Cambria had a really bad reputation of being very terrible people and very unlikable for a long time. Didn't know um, that. I, I, I mean, I will just say this from people saying it. I have no experience. But they were a band that, like, I would sit in their early days and, like, any band that I would work with that had just been around them would say horrible things. I don't know if that's true today, but that was my experience. I don't know it from personal. It may have just been happenstance. Enough disclaimers. You know, they were a unique and did something so special that even if they were terrible people, they were able to skyrocket because music listeners really liked what they did. I think there's a big thing of that. Yes, if you make exceptionally good music, you can be a terrible person and people are still going to deal with you. You know, you see some of these bands that have been through 12 managers, 10 booking agents, and they still kind of have a career. Like Dangerous Summer was this for quite a while. And, you know, that, I don't think yeah, that's, any- a, that's what I, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. I, I, just because, you know, I have a lawsuit. Sitting. Oh, wait, no, I don't. <laughs> that's so weird. I don't know where it is. Um, but yeah, I was, I was just going to say to steal what you were going to say. I was just like, they're, they're such a good example of when eventually like the shit does hit the fan because like, you know, I, I, as a big fan of the dangerous summer, musically speaking, could, could like block that off the, the bullshit side of them off for two album cycles and like. I'm typically really good at being able to block off a band being like bad people in, in terms of the music, unless, you know, they're like sexist or racist or whatever. And, you know, sometimes people are just assholes. Um, but with them, it, like eventually, I think we all hit our breaking point in terms of, and not like the press, I mean like me as a fan, you know, person next to me as a fan. Like I feel like the fans all hit their breaking point and are like, you know what, doesn't matter how good the music is it is clear you are all scumbags or at least one of you is a scumbag and we just can't put up with that anymore. And they did go through like God knows how many managers <laughs> and like they went through like five booking agents and there's just Got kicked four. off numerous tours. Yeah. There's Oh, every tour. That was, the, that was like the running joke. It was like, why put them on a tour? If they're just gonna, if they're just gonna go home after three days, like I, I can literally remember a discussion where I was managing man overboard, where we got offered a tour with them. And it was like, you know, the decision was no, cause it's not going to last. So let's just take the safe tour, even though it's not as good an audience for us. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Like I remember, I actually, like distinctly remember like all of these things just like I remember being in Washington for a weekend and them getting like oh no I didn't go I was at home doing homework in school and I didn't uh go I decided to skip out a show they were opening a tour for Versa Emerge and they were playing Highline Ballroom and I was like oh this is cool I'll just go for 45 minutes because it's just straight down for me on a train and then I didn't go and it was like one of the first days of tour and they got kicked off before they even went on because, <laughs> like, Cody, like, insulted the bassist or something or, like, whatever. Like, yeah. And it's just like, God, like, what do you, like, it's not that hard to be, like, sane. But I guess yeah. for some people it is. Uh, spoken like a sane person. But <laughs> um, to get to the point I was trying to make was, like, yeah, being social really can take you far. And, like, I, so I grew up. Um, one of my first punk friends was Gabe Supporta. And mm. I will always say to this day and uh, that Gabe is probably one of the greatest social animals I've ever experienced in my entire life. 
I'm someone who I have the humility to know I'm in the minority, that I didn't like Midtown. Part of Midtown's success, uh, hanging out with Gabe is a truly amazing thing because he is such a charismatic and interesting person, and he doesn't say the same things that everybody says all day. He's a true individual. There was other great social animals. Rob Hitt's a great social animal, and it really helped that band, and you could see it because people wanted to be around them. And I often think about even, too, like uh, that band Aiden that got really popular. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, with William Control. Is that the guy? And, but, like, you know, the funniest thing is, like, I'd be working with all these bands and everybody would be saying the thing of, like, wow, they're the worst band I've ever heard. What what great guys, though. <laughs> that was always the meme with those, those dudes. And it's like I think of, like, it doesn't hurt to be a good person, but I think the greater point and take away from this is that when you're a terrible person these days, it used to be a lot easier. And I think, like, it takes so long to breed the bad gene out of any rock and roll trope in this world. Mm. Um, you used to be able to get away with being a horrible person. You could be Jimmy Page and fucking moon people and fuck girls with sharks and all sorts of things and do all these crazy things. Uh and be an Axl Rose and a total asshole to everyone around you. But these days, there's so many people who are willing to do it that the nice person is who the manager is going to work harder for. And if you're an asshole, you better be an exceptionally talented asshole because these days it's just not going to go far. Yeah, and this is something that we could spend like a whole segment on in another episode. But there's, you know, this God knows how old saying of like all press is good press. And like... I will, on the website, I'll post something about, you know, Ronnie Racky fucking up and people will be like, why are you giving him more attention? I'm like, don't you get it? Like, it's not, it's like that, like, and they'll, and they'll say like, all good press is just good, like all press is good press. And I'll be like, no, that's actually wrong. Like it, I really, like Mm. to like the dangerous summer thing is a really a good example. Like if. Properties Act and Absolute Punk were not holding a vendetta against them. I'm not holding a vendetta against you, Cody. Don't sue me for saying this. But, <laughs> you know, if if we weren't posting truths that were happening with this band because of a member in it, then, like, it wouldn't have been out there and everything would have stayed the same. But at, this, at like, some point, like, things that were going on were just kind of wrong and messed up, and we posted about those things. And eventually that corroded the fan base. And I do, and like, you know, it's hard to imagine someone like Ronnie Rackie or Falling in Reverse truly losing all of their popularity, but I, I think more and more people are very much aware of his old history and his current history now, which is really not good and anything but spotless. And I like, I truly don't believe all press is good press or beneficial press. Like, I think there are clear examples where you just run out of you run out of second chances. Yes, I do agree with you run out of second chances, but I'm I've also just like I talked about that I think it, everybody focuses on the exception instead of the rule a lot of the times. Mm. The other thing that I'm very uh that I see our music pundit class focus on and when I say the music pundit class, I kind of mean like all of us who sit on Twitter and overly obsess over everything that we're all tweeting back and forth at each other is that, yeah, the bad press is that, but there is a thing that I think the all publicity is good publicity is the thing is that a lot of people don't pay enough attention to care and they just see the band's name and part of getting your band popular 
is that people just see the name enough that they go, I need to listen to this. And there's far more of them than us. Mm. And so that's where the all press, good press is good press, and that's where I don't agree with you. I do think all press, you know, barring this person uh, was trying to rape babies like the guy from Lost Prophets. Most press is good press. There are exceptions. But, like, yeah, Ronnie Radke being a disgusting human being and punching uh, his girlfriend, I'm sure it got him fans. There's also people who are just idiots who are like, yo, he's badass, he killed somebody. There are a lot of idiots out there. It's really, like, it's a concerning thing. And they're just, they seem to grow. Yeah, and I think, <laughs> you know, when, when, when in our music pundit class, as I would call us, um, I think we often talk about as if everybody's smart. And uh, they're not. Hmm. Anyway, I think a lot of people look at the world in a pre-internet era. Is that, like... You go back and you, like, look at these things like, oh, that person got popular. It's like one of the reasons, like, a lot of terrible people got popular is it was really hard to find good bands before the Internet. Like, you had to just stumble upon somebody, be in the right nightclub or get the right demo tape. But now you can just sit and search all day and you go, oh, wow, this is good. And the bar has been raised. And it's very simple when you have a terrible band with terrible, or I should say a good band with terrible people to just go, mm, I could find somebody better. And... The manager won't work with them. There's another person that can be worked harder on. And, like, you know, I think it's, like, something that we go go into is that we'll go into the future is, you know, you and I both have been the managers or head guys for a lot of bands. And, you know, you tend to work for the one that has more opportunities and is the nicer person that you know is going to work for. And I think people forget that, that it's very rare you have a single manager and it's even rarer that your booking agent only books you and is good at it. You know, they're going to do the work for the person that isn't a horrible person that causes them tons of problems. So learn how to be a good person. It's important. It's hard work, but it, it can be worth it. That actually gets off the connections thing. So I think before we started talking, you had a really good point about knuckle puck that you should bring up. Yeah, so I I, uh, I don't know that I've said this on here, so... I don't think it's redundant, but uh, we did a we did a stream on Property Act for a Knuckle Puck song on there with the Weight That You Buried EP called uh, Your Back Porch, and I just did it as like a favor. Uh, Dan from Real Friends is like best friends with Joe, the singer of Knuckle Puck, and he's like, "Hey, can you just stream the song for them? I have a guest spot in it. Um, it'd be a, it'd be a favor for me." And I was like, "Sure, yeah, whatever." Like you know, I do streams for bands. I have no connection to all the time. So I was like, yeah, I can do it. Um, and I just remember sitting in my room in like August in Philly and I looked at the traffic for the website and I didn't listen to the song beforehand. This is something I also don't do. Like, and I think I've said it like, I don't, I don't listen to very much like a ton of the music that gets posted on the website. Um, so I hadn't listened to it and I impeach looked. Impeach Cirillo, yeah. impeach Cirillo, hashtag impeach Cirillo. <laughs> Don't don't put them defend pop punk group, please. <laughs> they got a mind of their own sometimes. Um, so I looked at the traffic, like the real time stats for the website, and all of a sudden, like we had a ton of traffic on this single on the song stream, and I was like, "This is weird." So I decided to listen to the song, and I was like, "Wow, this rules!" Um, and so then I hit the band up, and very quickly, like I started managing them, but. Like besides their single, their singular con- connection to real friends, like they didn't have any connections. They didn't have any like there was no interest in them from a manager or a booking agent or anything or a label, whatever. So I was just like, look, I really 
once they sent me the full EP, I was like, look, I think I can do something with this. I really love the EP. I don't really know you guys yet as humans, but you seem okay so far. Um, you always hope that a band you're working with like isn't filled with assholes, like we were just saying before. And um, I was like, look, I think I can really do something with this. I kind of know how pop punk works. That's kind of my job. Let's see how it goes. And then like within... Because of where I stand, and this isn't like a cocky thing for me, this is just a manager, right? Like any manager, you, me, Jesse, or some random, not random manager, but someone that has someone that has been working as a manager for a little while, they will hopefully know people. And by people, I mean like a booking agent, label people, other bands, etc. And so very quickly, I got them a booking agent. And then like from there, like the dominoes kind of just fell in a good way. And this is where kind of having connections paired with the actual good and right music and timing is very like key. Um, within a week, within probably a month of getting them a booking agent, we confirmed four months in advance the Neck Deep tour that we did. And we confirmed that at a time where Neck Deep wasn't like popular yet. They hadn't put out their album on Hopeless yet. And we got a pretty good like money split with them for it because we had no one had the upper hand in this case of popularity. And so we got that tour and that was great. And uh, then they just did a tour with Man Overboard and they would not have gotten that tour if one, we didn't have the booking agent that I got them. And two, I didn't have a really good relationship with Man Overboard um, via originally Jesse. And that, that was because they, Knuckle Puck really didn't have much of a track record yet. And I was just like, look, to the band, I was like, look, just trust me on this one. I think it's going to happen and I, I'll owe you one. And it ended up working out really well. But there, that's just like another good example of some of it is really just connections and that, I think is kind of frustrating. That's frustrating sometimes for people within the music industry. And it's got to be, I would imagine, frustrating or at least like head scratching for just a normal fan and consumer because it doesn't always make sense. A lot of it is just happenstance of who you know. And, you know, like Knuckle Puck has been talking with labels and stuff as well. And it's a similar thing of because I know people at different labels from years of the website and management and other stuff like you get it's easier to have a dialogue with these people and hopefully get the best for your band that you're working with. And ultimately, at the end of the day, if you're managing a band, what you want to do is leverage your connections for the best situation for them. Yes. So I think so. The extraction from this, and it's something I agree with from that story. And I could tell this, I could basically tell a very similar story of Man Overboard to just go very fast through is that whether it's Man Overboard or Transit. I've had bands ask me to manage them, and I never say yes at first, as I make sure they're good people first, and that they're hardworking people as well. But it's their great music that makes me want to do it, and what also makes me want to do it, and I'll say this for a lot of the music businesses, one of the things I write about in my book is that, so I'm 36, I'm not the 17-year-old girl or guy who buys most of these things I don't wear crew neck shirts i would <laughs> kill myself if somebody ever photoshopped me in one oh, please don't do that. that please don't do that do please don't do that <laughs> <laughs> but uh we're kind of guessing at what people like when we're older and most of us who are older run the music business um in fact it's usually people who are even older than me that are the have the bigger positions in music business zach is a rare exception thank you thank you 
what you want to see and mo- most want to pe- people want to see is that there's a legitimate reaction when people hear the music that they like it and that you're going to have an easy time selling this band. Um, and that's what a lot of us look at. And, you know, I've had drunken dinners where a lot of older people in the music business have said that straight up is just I want to see that when young kids hear this, that they like it and then I can get it to more ears and I'm going to have an easy time doing that. So, but the extraction from that story and my man overboard story is that in general, we have a reaction where we go, hey, I really love this music. You know, I really loved Man Overboard Transit, Washington Square Park, or any of the other bands I've managed. I heard their music and it really moved me. So the other thing is too, is there's plenty of bands with great connections that go nowhere at all. Um, One of my favorite stories is always that band Daphne Loves Derby. Mm. Um, who faked their pure volume hits, got signed to a crazy record label, had more money thrown at them than most bands have ever thrown at them. But I'm sorry. And like, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some people who like that band. But the majority of us did not enjoy their music. There's a flip side of that same exact story, actually, with the pure volume thing, which I didn't know until recently. But Chiodos did that as well. And obviously that turned out very differently. But yeah. I would argue that a lot of people react well to Chiodos. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing. Is So what really this comes down to at the end of the day is, the, here's the real equation is, you don't get popular no matter how many connections you have if you make terrible music, but you do get popular if you make music and have good social skills and good connections. And sure, those good connections can pour gasoline on the fire, but you need to be able to make a spark first. And without the good music, you just don't go that far. It's it, it's kind of that thing of um, you're accumulating assets. You don't get rich from one idea. You get rich from doing a lot of smart moves. And this is the same thing is you don't get fans unless you do. You have an accumulation of a lot of things. And yes, good connections and having a manager as connected as Zach uh, can go light years. Oh, wow. That was a good pun. That was a good pun. Um, <laughs> can make you go light years ahead. But at the end of the day, it just doesn't work if people aren't enthusiastic about your music. And like, I saw see it firsthand is like, you know, there's sometimes I'm at shows where it's like, wow, that band's on the right record label with the right manager and everybody cares way more about the band that just opened for them than this band, um, even though they have all the right things going for them. And because at the end of the day, it's like it's about getting to ears and fans when they hear it being really enthusiastic about it. Yeah. And like that, that's the thing I. Like there are, and this, like we can keep talking about this, There are, and, but we don't have to. It's just that there are always exceptions to the rules. And, mm-hmm. but, there, but most people are not an exception, obviously. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a rule. Because I was going to say like, yeah, but then you have a band like Attila and it's just a straight gimmick and it's crude. No, but, 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 that, but that's like an exception. I, I, I don't agree that, I don't agree, agree that that's the problem because you know what the thing is? I enjoy listening to Attila because I think it's funny. But there's people who feel that emotion and really like that because there's a lot of, idiots out there who really that speaks to them emotionally like i i, I actually don't agree i think that attila is this the uh because the other thing i'll say is too is attila you can say anything you want about them as a music producer and a highly trained musician that they, they're exceptionally good oh um, i don't want to go i don't want to go down this route <laughs> i understand but i i think you're wrong on this um attila is making compositions that are exceptionally more complicated and interesting than a lot of other bands out there in a technical level, and a lot of people appreciate that. On an emotional level, if you appreciate um, 
she sucks my dick while I'm on my PlayStation, you're a fucking moron. And Peach Cannon. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, do you have anything more to say about this, or do we want to go into that? I think, I think the last thing to say is stop focusing on the exception of when the few bands do this and focus on the rule. Yeah, the rule is so you need to, to make It's so hard to duplicate because you can't. Yeah, well, I think it's just here's the rule. You need to make great music for people to want to work with you. And then if you have great connections and you're a great social animal like Gabe Supporter or Jeff Rickley um, or whoever who are good at when people meet you, they love you. Like, actually, I have one more interesting thing to say about this. I can't always tell what music people are going to like when I'm making a record with them. Like, I was pleasantly shocked how much people like Somos. I was pleasantly shocked how well the Menzingers did. Um, but one of the things I always say about the Menzingers is... Um, those guys walked into my studio and, you know, I did their record, you know, they had zero fans. Um, and I met them. I said, you know what? These guys are going to be a wildly huge band because they're the best people to be in a room with. And they're the greatest, coolest, nicest, funnest, every great adjective about them. Um, guys, and they're smart, they're interesting. Like, you know, I can remember Greg came in and he was reading a book by Greg Polast. I was so impressed that somebody that young was doing that. And like, mm. there's a thing with bands is that the bands who don't work and never get popular are the bands who can't hang. And I always say this is like, if there's one thing that's not a, that's uh, a great ingredient, like you have to make great music, but you also have to be able to hang. If you star fucking like, oh my God, the guy from the story so far, can I get my picture with you? If you're like that and you're in a band, you're never going anywhere. Um, if you can hang, just be cool. You're an interesting person that can tell your, the bands you respect interesting things, you're going to go far. And like, that was like, you know, uh, the first day the Menzingers walked in, I turned to Mike, my co-producer, and I was like, these guys are going to, between how great this record is and how big this is, they're going to be huge because they're the greatest humans. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's a correlation I see in everything. And you know, you know, we were talking about knuckle puck. I had very much the same feeling hanging out with those guys when they were in the studio recently as I was like, these guys are the best to hang out with and that will take them far. Yeah. I, I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I agree though too. Yeah. Hang the hang quality is an intangible. That's very important. Um, I, I I don't know if that can be developed. You can't develop it. It's a it's like you a, can develop social skills, and you can develop like being good at connections. You can go out more and just hang out at every show that comes to your ta town more, and eventually that's going to get you connections. If you just go out enough and like talk to strangers, you're going to have connections. But not being a tool who idol worships and does that stuff, I think you can grow into that. Yeah. I have you seen anybody ever grow into it though? I'm curious. No, I don't know. I like in a personal sense, I like to think that now that I am older than I was when I was 16. I think it kind of depends on like the age. I think it like I think if you're 26 and then you're in a you're a band or a person and like you quote unquote like can't hang when, by the time you're 32 and, and let's say your band is still around, it's probably gonna be the same thing. But like there are some bands that start out when they're 18 and they have they're just they're not evergreen to only being. They're not green. Sorry, they're not green to, to only being in a band. They're like green to being an adult or like someone that yeah. has to do things. Like same thing with me. Like there are bands that I didn't 
really mesh well with in a work setting or just a general talking setting because I would have been 16 or 17 or maybe even 19. And I just didn't really know how to like, not even small talk, but just like, you know, what if the dude is like 28 and I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm a dumb, I'm a dumb 17 year old. Like what, like that's a nervous kind of setting to be in. And I could imagine it would be nervous too. If you're a band that's 18 to 20 year old, like knuckle puck even. And like, if they didn't have a sense of reality when they're going on tour and playing a somewhat big venue with man overboard that they could just have no idea how to act. Like you don't, you don't automatically, you're not automatically mature, obviously, because you're 18. Sure. Certainly at 18. But it's not about maturity. Like, I met you at 17, and I was immediately impressed by you because you could hang. Yeah, I just, I think it, I think it's just, I, there's so much that goes into it for every different person, I feel. It's just, it's just an upbringing thing, and like, a, I don't know. Well, yeah, to get into the DNA of it, I think there's two big things. Is one, is it's not like, you don't treat the person like they're up on a pedestal. And two, it's like not being enamored. But like, how do you not be enamored? I think like there's some people who are naturally enamored by celebrity and who they respect. And then there's some people who feel on that level. Like I always say like when I was a teenager, my girlfriend was a very famous actress. It made me not enamored by celebrity because at such an early age, I was around celebrities and the person I was dating was, you know, on Conan and David Letterman and Saturday Night Live every night. And like... Because of that, I always felt equal and, like, I can be around it. But, like, what do you do when you don't have that? And it's, like, I think you have to realize that all these celebrities are just as retarded as you are. And, oh, I should—I forgot I shouldn't be saying that word anymore. Um, Here we go again. Yeah, but I'm sorry. But they're just as dumb and idiotic and do dumb things just like you. And you just need to talk to them like you talk to your best friend. I think that that's yeah. really the thing is, like— don't star fuck like it's and, and, and you know it, it happens to you and I is like people star fuck us and we're like you know not even near famous or anything and it's like you know just talk, tell me the most interesting thought that you've had in your head in a while instead of some retarded thing where you tell me that I'm more famous than I am and we're gonna be friends instantly yeah uh I think, like you said, with me being 17 and I could at least somewhat hang out, like I think... For, Not for, somewhat. You, you, I, I mean, you were immediately impressive to everybody around. And for that, that was the thing, for though. a situation like me, though, I think something like that for me, I can, if I'm thinking about it, is like, well, I went to this school all my life where I didn't fit in at all and I felt really outside of that. And then suddenly these people I was getting the lucky chance to like hang around, like those people felt like who I should have been hanging around for like all my life instead of those people I went to school with kind of thing, you know, like I felt, I felt a uh, much instant more of a connection to you. Cause you got it. You got who I was just based off of who I am instead of like, I could, I, I was in class with some students for 13 years and they didn't get me at all kind of thing. Like, I think it has to do with kind of the environment you desire to like, not that you desire to be in, but like the person you are like this, Mm -hmm. has fit like this world is who I am. It fits really well. There are people that are way more punk than me and we clash on shit, right? Like sure. Me. Like you. Yes. We clash <laughs> on some stuff, but that's fine. Like we still get each other as basic people because we're more or less cut from like the same cloth or in spirit. At least I think you made just made the, the greater point is that that's the thing is there's most of us who are in this felt so outcast. I had the same experience as you is like I went to school and I felt so outcast um, from everybody. Once you start being around people, like, you got to remember that like all these people, they kind of have something in common with you and you just bond with them on that 
commonality because it's so great that we have that. And usually that sets us apart enough that you have something to talk about. It's great to talk to people who are a little outcast just like all of us feel. And we all have that alienation thing in common if we're in this subculture world together. Because I even, you know, I come from two worlds. I mostly come from punk, but I also come from like a weird dance world. And I have the same thing in that dance world is that, you know, we're all... We're all interested in something that not the rest of the world is. And I don't mean like the Swedish house mafia dance. I mean like I'm into really underground weird dance stuff just like I'm into punk. And we have that in common. We all feel that together. Totally. And I think that that's, that's the best point is that, you know, you already have this commonality with people. Don't put them on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the biggest uh, tropes I see on the internet, and I'm just not going to stop using that word, I guess... There's a constant argument, should your band move to a big city or should they live in a small town? And I think it's a nuanced argument, but um, Martin Atkins, who wrote Tour Smart, uh, talks about that you should move to Boise, Idaho. It's cheap. You'll be the only band that anybody cares about there. And I say the opposite. If you're a pop punk band and you're in Orange County or you're in North New Jersey or Long Island, that hell on earth. um, Heard that. Yeah, um, you have the chance to meet more people, and this goes very hand in hand with what we just discussed. Is you know, let's say you're an indie rock band, you move to Brooklyn, you have the chance to be in every music writer who will take you somewhere, every person in the music business who can take you somewhere. All is going to shows in Brooklyn. You have the chance to meet them and be in front of them randomly, or start dating someone who's then friends makes friends with that person. The happenstance of it all is so much more likely that you're going to be around these people with the connections, remember, if you make great music, that they'll elevate you. And while Boise is really cheap, your nearest city is really far away. There's just not a lot of people who enjoy your music. Like I can remember looking at web analytics for um, Man Overboard, and I remember when we crossed a million hits on the website... There is never one person from Montana, the state next to Idaho, that had ever been to our website out of a million people. Yeah, we like even even for like bad timing records with the whole infographic thing we put together for a year. Uh, like there's six states that we have never shipped to, and they're all the, they're all this like six states around. So it's uh, Wyoming, Idaho. They're all like, Montana. It's just like yeah, it's Alaska. Just like, Alaska, we have shipped to. Oh, Atlanta. interesting. Yeah, but they're all so, like. So, what are the where were the other three? It's uh, one of them is Maine, I believe. It's either one of them is really yeah, one That's of them is Maine or New Hampshire. Portland, Maine is like maybe it's too hipster for bad timing. Yeah, it could be certainly. Um, they're just all right there, and then there's one in the south, like I, maybe I don't think it's Louisiana, but like. Something over there is also has not. Oh yeah, Louisiana loves pop punk. Yeah. There's always there's great someone, shows there. There's like I one of those. It's just like all right in that chunk though, basically, which is so funny. Like especially for this music, like that's just a dead ground. You don't see. That's when Warp Tour has a two days off or forty eight hours straight of driving to get yeah. through those states. So, but that, that's I, I. So, so that's an interesting thing too is that there's just not many music fans. Like you know, like one of the other things to think about is so. In Wyoming, has a population of just half a million people. Mm-hmm. In just Brooklyn, <laughs> we, have three times, we have three times that, and most of Brooklyn really wants to hear music. So 
you have three, think, I was thinking about Wyoming, just everybody out there, whether it's babies who are never going to listen to your music or old people or just shut-ins, you have no chance of doing this if you're in some of these places. And like to get to a less great example, let's just say you live in West Virginia or let's say you live in really rural Pennsylvania, not talking like New Jersey border, but like Altoona-ish. You know, you got to drive a long while before anybody's going to care. Whereas in Brooklyn, you walk three blocks and odds are there's somebody who's going to care about your band. That's a big, big thing. And especially matters when, where's your jump off? Like if you're a band that's thinking about moving, and I know a lot of bands who move. Living in Philly or North Jersey, you have a million cities you can get to in a weekend drive. Like if you're just going to do weekend tours, like, you know, you can go all over the place really, really easily and hit so many cities. But goddamn, being in Altoona or Boise, Idaho, that sure is not possible. Yeah. So so hold on. So the question, though, is should your band move to a bigger city? You are obviously against a Boise, Idaho, as am I. But what are your thoughts then just more in general about if you're a band, is it reasonable, realistic, logical to move? Oh, yeah. I see, I've see. i seen it a lot of times. I mean, my old band, we pretty much relocated to New Brunswick when a bunch of people went to school there. And there was, that's where the punk scene was thriving. Like, you know, at that time, like I, we were saying in the last episode, it's like everybody from Thursday to Midtown was coming up and... uh New Brunswick basement shows were the coolest thing in America to do. Yeah, it was very, very helpful. And while we didn't go far, that was more because we broke up faster than we could exist. We were on track and making all the right connections. And had we stuck with it, it would have been very easy for us to do because we were in a very nurturing scene. And I think it's very important to move to those nurturing scenes. I guess the Menzingers are a good example, too. They all moved to Philly. Yeah, and you, you know what's even a, a better thing, too, is, you, you know, I think something that is very lost on people these days, especially maybe your generation, is that, you know, until the Strokes, and, you know, when I was in this band, uh, we were way before the Strokes, um, there had not been a popular band to come out of New York City in over a decade. New York City was a dead scene. No bands would ever get popular from New York City. No one cared about anybody from New York City. It was Even though so much of the music business was there, no one cared. The Internet made New York City a thing. Mm. Yeah, I guess that would have, yeah, that doesn't ring true to me at all. So what's very interesting, too, is like two-thirds of my band, or I'm sorry, three out of six of my band, we were from North Jersey or Brooklyn. And we purposely were like, we got to get down to New Brunswick, which is a very funny thing to think about because this was 1998. Right. And, um, the you know, the World Wide Web is about a year and a half old for access to most people at that point. And... Um, it just wasn't what it was. And yes, like if you're in Louisville and you're feeling like life is kind of sucking for your band and you're just not getting where you should and you feel like people aren't hearing you and you're thinking about moving to Philly, North Jersey, Orange County, San Francisco suburbs, Portland, uh, Portland, Oregon, mm -hmm. go. Don't think twice. Um, Louisville sucks. Louisiana sucks. Move, but don't move to a place where you think you're just going to be like, oh, well, we're the biggest band in that town now. Yeah, because you're not going to be able to, you can't build a community around that. Yeah. And you can't be in a community, obviously, either. And so maybe that's another thing we should have had with this last thing is, um, so let's talk about the connections thing. The most important connections are your connections with other bands. Totally. Knuckle Puck doesn't get to Zach without 
Dan from Real Friends. Right. Um, my Chemical Romance doesn't become My Chemical Romance unless the used go out on tour with, take them out on tour. Also, if, like, if, and if they didn't know Jeff Rickley. Yes. Great point, too. Um, and, you know, um, it's super, super important that, you know, you make friends with other bands. Like, you know, when bands are like, how do I get good shows? We always play the same terrible show. It's like, make friends with other bands. Go on Bandcamp. Find bands you actually like, who you seem like you would get along with, and start talking to them. Yeah, it's that simple. Yeah, and Philly, I, I guess I probably, as you, as you yourself saw with New Brunswick years ago, like I guess that's kind of what I see with Philly now. It's kind of, I think, the same thing, where it's just like, just show after show is just, I, I know for a fact. I think Philly just, is what New Brunswick used to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like, I, I can see for a fact that it's just like, yeah, we're going to hop on this show. We're friends. Oh, of course you can hop on this show. And like, then all of these bands are all helping out each other. And even on a, and th this would be for like house shows, but then you see it uh, from kind of the previous generation where that really rings true, where it's like, it's not a coincidence that title fight, pianos become the teeth, a lot of spew, balance and composure, those four bands, one of them are always touring with the other one in some different rotation, but they're always on tour together. Like, that's that's why. I would even take it a step further is that, like, you know, that Philly scene is what connected Balanced Composure to Man Overboard, who they sound nothing like, and connected Transit, who I don't even think sounds like the other two that much, but they all became friends, and some of that was the Philly scene and doing shows around there. It's so hard to even put a value on it because it it's so rare that they exist, right? Like, that New Brunswick thing to me, like growing up when I started getting into this music, it was legendary for me to read about like 10 years later, you know, like same with the Long Island thing with like a brand new Taking Back Sunday, like reading about whatever, Midtown, Thursday, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like all coming up right there. Or then there would be, you know, a brand new and uh, Taking Back Sunday and Stray Light Run. For, for someone that didn't grow up in that, it seems like so legendary. And I think for a lot of kids now, and it's very cool that I get to be somewhat a part of it, it's just that, like, kids freak out about Philly now. Um, like, mm -hmm. you know, every band on Run for Cover is from Philadelphia um, in some aspects. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a great scene. And, you know, one of the other things to discuss about it, though, Brooklyn's really expensive. As somebody who's looking for an apartment in Brooklyn right now, you know, I make a lot of money, and it's still torturous. Philly is not. Yeah. A lot of my no, friends Philly's who can't take cheaper. Brooklyn— yeah, a lot of my friends who can't take Brooklyn are moving to Philly. And if you were a music, if if a band turned to me and they were an indie band or a punk band right now and said, "Where do I move? We're thinking about relocating from New Hampshire," I'd tell them Philly because it's cheap. They're not going to pay a lot to exist. It's relatively safe, even though you guys still have some neighborhoods that are a little. Hey, I got my bike stolen. You just get your bike stolen a few times. That's all. See, when I lived in Philly. Um, everybody but me got mugged, but <laughs> I had a car. Uh -huh. So I didn't have to walk as much. Um, yeah, that's the scene's great and the money, the price is right. And that is the one thing is that while I would argue that if you're a band that lives and dies by getting featured by music writers and you're going to be like a critic's favorite, then yes, you have to pay the price to live in, um, new, uh, live in Brooklyn because literally... Like, there, there's almost no music writers who write for popular sites that don't live in Brooklyn or go to shows in Brooklyn. E even Zach almost sometimes comes to Brooklyn. Very so. rarely. Very rarely. <laughs> do I, tonight I'm skipping because I'd say, well, I'd rather just go to 14th Street. <laughs>
<sighs> so lame. <laughs> I know. Um, that's where things are happening. And those band connections, those writer connections, that's what you do need to make. And if you're a great band on top of that, that's what's going to get you ahead. Now, if you don't want to move and you're not thinking about moving, can you just make friends with those bands? Absolutely. Put on shows in your hometown. Make the scene down there. Somebody's got to do it. Connect with those bands. Write them. Talk to them. Be friends with them on Twitter. Say interesting things when they say interesting things. Got it. It happens every day. But you don't have to do it. But boy, does it make life a lot easier if you can run into them at the show. It's uh, it's, it's kind of frustrating, I think, even for me, because sometimes I'll... Like, there's this band... I don't mind really using this as an example, but, like, there's this band called Better Off. Are you, we've talked about them. You like? Uh, yes, I, I'm a big fan. Yeah, it's, like, they're from, I want to say, um, like, Tennessee or something. Um, and it's, like, boy, I hope... Like, I hope that band just doesn't break... Like, I hope it... Like, how are they going to build? You know, there are some bands that it's just like, how are you going to build yourself? Because, like, you're not in a good place to tour. You're not in a good whatever. And it's it's a bummer that some of this stuff is just out of out of everyone's hands unless you can move or unless you can somehow get a really lucky break. But at the end of the day, like, it's, sometimes it's not feasible to move, you know. But it's, I, it's, all, it's all very valid. Sometimes it's just frustrating, I think, when you, like, think about it. <laughs> Thank you to everyone for listening to Off The Record this week. Head to offtherecord.fm to check out show notes, to leave us any feedback. Jesse can be found at Twitter at Jesse Cannon. I'm at Z Zarillo, And our podcast is at Off The Record FM. We'll be back next week.